Hello and welcome to Associated, the podcast making venture capital more accessible. I'm Lois and today I'm co-hosting with Petra. How's it going, Petra? Hi guys. I'm good. I'm glad I made it time. There was a lot of frantic messaging between myself and Lois before I joined. So I had to do my my fun COVID test, which was um, exciting and painful. But I made it in time. So I'm glad I'm glad I could I could be here for this. I'm really pleased to have you back from having swabs in your um, face. <laughs> yeah. And the gross thing is, which I didn't realize, that take a, they, they swab the back of your throat and they take the same swab and put it in your nose, which seems a little unhygienic. But anyways. <laughs> well, I'm really pleased that we've opened with that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I think it really will engender an environment of honesty. Yeah. And, and I think we'll need that for today. This might be a bit of a, a rowdy episode. What do you think, Lois? <laughs> I certainly hope so, because today we've got a very special bonus episode to close out our fourth season. And it's something that we haven't done before. It's a group session. So we have got the topic of conversation as career progression. And we are thrilled to be joined by a merry crew of VPs and principals. And um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, I think, because it's fun. Is that okay? Yeah, I, I, I can go first. Uh, yeah, so thanks so much for having me on. Like, it's such a great podcast to try to kind of pull back some of the curtain around what it's like being junior in BC. So I'm Finn. Uh, I'm currently a principal at Frontline Ventures. We're an early stage B2B software fund. So we invest across Europe, but I'm based out of Dublin, Ireland, and spend a lot of time on airplanes going back and forth to London uh, up until the current state of the world. But yeah, we do pre-seed and seed investing, and I've been there for about two and a half years. And then before that, I had worked at the consumer fintech business that exploded in a spectacular fireball about 12 months after their Series A. And before that, I'd had my own startup where we were kind of like acquired into that fintech business. So yeah, now I didn't think I would ever move over to the dark side, but here I am two and a half years in just having having a great time. Amazing. Thank you. Annalisa? Hello, Lois. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. I'm so glad we were able to get the, the group episode together. I'm I'm Elisa Dragic. I'm a vice president at Sapphire Ventures, which is a four billion AUM firm focused on the expansion stage. So Series B investments all the way through IPO, making investments across North America, Europe, and Israel. And I'm based out of London. I joined Sapphire earlier this year in March during the first wave of our COVID fun times that we've been having. And prior to Sapphire, I was an investor at Atomico which is a VC firm here in London. And before that, I was in California where I got my MBA. And then I started my career working at LinkedIn, rotating around different offices and different teams. Amazing. Thank you. And Camille, could you close out? Yeah, fine. So, hey, I'm Camille. I'm a VP at Notion Capital. Uh, we're an early stage firm focusing on B2B SaaS and investing predominantly at Series A stage with a pan-European reach. I've been with Notion for slightly over two years now. Prior to that, I was at another fund called Mosaic Ventures, where I had a more of an operations-focused role. And before that, I was a, I was a founder. I, I built two businesses. One, similarly to Finn's, was an absolute disaster. The other one, I ended up 
selling for a little bit of money to one of our customers. Um, so it was, you could call it a success. And then apart from that, I also worked for a fintech startup called Market Finance, where I joined when the startup was 10 people. And then we grew it to over 100 people over, over two years, which has been a pretty exciting journey. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thank you all so much for agreeing to come on. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, as regular listeners will know, we usually have uh, associates and we also try and uh, interview people who may not necessarily be heard on podcasts or on social media as much as, you know, maybe partner level people or thought leaders in the space. So it's really cool to have you on. And I'm excited to dive into the pro- career progression that you guys have summarized already. I wondered if we might start, though, by talking a little bit about how you all know each other, because, you know, you know each other already. And um, as Finn rightly points out, part of the podcast is about pulling back the curtain and exposing those networks a little bit. So maybe we can start there. We've definitely met over like probably like two years ago. It was like, Eric Cam, you were one of the first people I met when I started in VC. I think so. Yeah. I, I find it such a weird, like, I don't know what your guys' like initial start in venture was, but I sat down on my first day and literally turned to one of the partners and was like, what do I do? What does one do in this job? And they were like, just like, go meet all the interesting people you know and ask them to introduce you to other interesting people. And I was like, okay. And then I did that for like three months. And then it turned out they were actually just completely backlogged. So didn't have time to properly onboard me. But that filled a chunk of time. And like part of the interesting people you meet is literally going on LinkedIn and being like, okay, I know who Notion are. And I'm pretty sure it was like just because Notion had invested in an Irish company and you just end up like reaching out to people and connecting. Mm. But like, like it was all just kind of London coffee shops and chats. I think when when I joined, I had that notion of notion, no pun intended, of you know, as a as a VC, you need a super strong network. And uh, my role at Mosaic Ventures prior to moving to Notion was much more sort of inward looking. I was building our operational stack, um, including our sourcing software. So I was sort of observing how venture works. I was sitting at uh, the weekly meetings, um, listening about different deals being surfaced. And I understood the power of the network, but I, I had no none of the network. So when I joined Notion, and I still remember my first day, and uh, back then they were terrible at onboarding. And uh, it was just me and uh, two people from my platform team in the office. Everyone was on holiday. And sort of not everyone felt like they were aware of me even joining. And so, so I thought, what do I do now? And um, I ended up doing a lot of outbound. And I think, you know, I sent, I sent a message to... To Finn, I, I might have emailed you, Annalise, or maybe we were introduced, I can't remember, but I remember just spending a month sending a whole bunch of emails and LinkedIn messages to people. And and actually from that, people I met at that time are the closest to InVenture because I don't know, it's just tied to that memory of me starting and being really vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely echo what Cam said. I think, I do remember, I think Cam, you just sent me a cold email and was like, hey, can we grab breakfast? And, you know, I think that was also about the time that I was starting and joining Atomico. So I do yeah. think there is this sense of you're starting out in venture and a lot of people, you don't have a strong network when you're starting out and you're just starting, you know, to get to know people and to understand kind of how the industry works. Yeah, and, um, only how it evolves, right? Because now I introduce people who join our fund to others and they I introduce founders to investors and founders to founders. So suddenly that network over time becomes one of your biggest assets. But yeah, it's it's very nascent at the beginning usually. 
Definitely. Yeah. And I think a part of that is just putting yourself out there. I think for me, it was coming and yeah, not having that network and the same, you start at a firm and people will reach out to you like Cam did to me, but it's also yourself reaching out to others and just starting to build that kind of network like piece by piece. And then mm -hmm. as Cam said, that becomes one of kind of their biggest assets that and it never really goes away. It only really mm -hmm. continues to grow and relationships kind of strengthen and I think I'm super thankful to have, you know, like Cam and Finn as people who have kind of progressed with me in the in the European like venture ecosystem, because I think having peers is is just so important. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there's no point getting to know the partners. They're going to retire soon anyway. So like just <laughs> spend as much time as you can with junior people. Honestly, it's like partners are the worst sources of deal flow ever. But like junior people, it's like all you have to do is trade. So like that's where all that information sits. So I think it's like we've got a great peer network coming from that. And then hopefully that kind of transitions to when we all become partners. Yeah. And and speaking of the title partner, one, one thing I noticed is you guys have the distinction between vice president and principal. Is there a distinction or is it just a different name? Because I think in venture, I've seen principal more often, whereas I associate VP with more like traditional banking. So I personally think that a lot of the titles in venture can be very misleading. You know, like for example, if you have the US, everyone's a partner uh, at every fund. So for like A16Z is a good example of that. Uh, everyone has a partner title. I think it's very similar with Sequoia. Within, within Europe, you have um, slightly different models. So we have a model that is similar to what I believe Excel have, which is sort of you have, you have associate, senior associate, VP, investment director, and then you move on to partner. But to be honest, like I think the titles are, are generally quite misleading and they are more of a way of the firm telling you that, hey, you can progress with us. We appreciate that you're evolving. Uh, I don't know whether you think differently. What about you, Finn? Yeah, I don't know. I, I also think I had kind of a weird one where like I applied, like Frontline were hiring an analyst. Like I think when it comes to like looking at venture jobs, like everything it's either non-partner or partner like if you see an analyst role like apply for it like i just like threw in an application because i was like why not and then within six months was an associate because it was it's just like so hard to hire people who can be good at the job that like just being able to come in and show off what you can do so like i think like the way i think about like the difference between analyst associate and principal like actually even we're hiring at the moment so this is how we even think about it is like an analyst is someone that can come from any background, but will require like quite a bit of onboarding support and will need to be taught like a lot of the basics of like not just venture, but like general, like how startups work and everything around that. Associates, you'd kind of expect them to have like a good knowledge of technology companies, startups. I don't know if you guys broke like venture for me was broken down into like five sections. There's like sourcing, diligence, deal execution, portfolio management, and then fundraising. And basically like an analyst yeah. does sourcing an associate does sourcing and diligence. A principal does sourcing, diligence, deal execution, which is, you know, winning the deal, signing the term sheets, negotiating, and portfolio management. And then the partners, the only thing that you don't do as a principal VP is like fundraising and kind of fund management strategy. And that's what you bring in as a partner. So I think that's how I've always thought. I don't know how you guys, that's how I've kind of always been taught to think about the titles. And as you take on more responsibility, you end up going from like the tag along to that thing to being the person actually driving that. Yeah, 
I think that's a great breakdown, Finn. And the one thing I'd also add is, you know, as you progress within firms, then you have other colleagues as well that you're helping out, right? So I think you also progress from kind of doing the due diligence yourself to maybe then managing other people on the team who are doing parts of that due diligence. Mm -hmm. And then you're leveraging your time for the firm in other areas. Um, mm, That's a really good point. And um, another term that we sometimes hear when talking about getting into VC is a partner track role. Could, could you explain a bit about what that means to you and whether it means different things to different people? So, so I think the way I think about it is if you're in venture and you're not moving up the ranks in terms of not only the job title, but also the level of responsibilities that you have and level of independence that you have and, and sort of level of influence you have at a table when making new investment decisions, follow-on decisions, sort of strategy decisions – you know, if, if for two years you haven't moved up, that sort of indicates that you need to start looking for another role at another fund that could help you get promoted. So so to me, all the roles in venture, unless they're partner roles, they come with that two-year timeline where you either prove that you are a valuable asset to the fund and you progress and the uh, the fund shows you the willingness to promote you and, and help you progress and throws new challenges at you or you're not really on the partner track any more of a sort of a two-year adventure type of role and then you need to you need to start looking for that next gig where maybe that next fund has an opportunity for you to grow because roles in venture when it comes to the senior roles are very, very scarce and rare vc firms don't scale the way startups do they have quite a fixed headcount and and actually, you know, the amount of management fees that they're getting doesn't really enable venture firms to grow significantly. So so you're really hoping for, you know, that unique opportunity to be able to grow, which is which is rare. So I think as long as you're progressing every two years or so, it means that you are on that partner track. Um, you know, if you start getting carry, you start getting more responsibilities. If if your role sort of has been in a standstill. It probably means that, you know, you need to start thinking about what's the next step you need to make to, to keep progressing. And probably that's outside of the, the firm you're with. And that two-year timeline, that's not arbitrary. That's usually in line with a kind of fund deployment period. Is that at yeah. least at the yeah, it's usually tied to that. So, so usually a fund deploys over a two to three-year period, at least the, the early stage ones do. And then for the new fund, you're hoping that you'll be in a different position where with another junior person stepping in and you moving up and um, maybe even being able to do your first deal from the new fund or have a role with more responsibility. Right? Mm. And in terms of like some of the most important things to career progression, whether it's from personal experience or if you want to speak more generally, what are some of the things that you've found in your careers? Yeah. I don't know how you guys have seen it, but this is such a weird job where there can be like, six months when like nothing happens and then you get like a one-week opportunity to show that you are really highly capable and that can be like really demoralizing or really frustrating because you can be like oh god no, nothing's happening and then things just kind of come together so i think in terms of progression it's like cam said you kind of have to sometimes take a little bit more responsibility than you've been given. So like, I remember when I was still an associate, I think one of the main reasons I ended up getting promoted was like, at one point when normally I would have handed off to a partner 
on an investment we were trying to win. It just didn't make sense. The relationships were too confusing and it was moving too fast. So like, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do it. So I just brokered the deal with the founder, agreed the term sheet and was like, okay, we've won this. And everyone on the team didn't have enough time to think about, is Finn actually allowed to do that? And I think there are certain moments when you're trying to accelerate like venture, we're all kind of like, you know, we work with startups, we have a high tolerance for risk. So I think like once you're in the door, if you don't push the boat out as an analyst or as an associate and occasionally like take more responsibility than you've necessarily been given, it's very hard to progress because the partners are just busy thinking about, I don't know, thinking about their carry and like yachts or whatever. Uh, yeah. So th- like they don't have time, that much time to think about you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I love I I love that. Um, but I also think the phrase that was taught to me very early on when I started was uh, ask for forgiveness, not for, for permission. And um, I think that's something that you learn pretty quickly in ventures that it's actually much easier to do the asking for forgiveness because uh, partners don't have time to give you permission. They don't have time to, you know, calibrate that. I think it also just really comes down to being a really proactive person, right? I think there's kind of the roles and responsibilities of the core job. And then it's kind of once you've mastered that, then it's like, okay, what's the next challenge? What are the other things that I can be doing for a firm? And, you know, I think in my experience, you know, some of the feedback that I've gotten from partners is taking on that additional responsibility and no matter kind of what title you had, but kind of acting, uh, as a kind of more senior member of the team. And I think in terms of career progression and showing that you're ready for the next level, getting feedback like that is, is the best way. Mm. And, and one, one thing that particularly stuck with me when I started at Notion two years ago, it was uh, one of the partners telling me that every investor that lasts and, and sort of becomes an investor for life has a certain superpower uh, that really distinguishes them from the rest. And, and the first year in the job is really trying to determine what that superpower is in terms of yourself, because you can't be good at everything. There's certain elements of the job that you can be sort of very good at, and then there's certain elements of the job that you, you, you sort of need to be baseline at, but you build your credentials and you, you build your irreplaceability on on the things where you're like really outstanding and, and all you need is one or two of those things. So, so it's trying to think about how to become irreplaceable and have an offering it's very difficult to hire for um, and then continue to build on that particular thing. Um, so finding your own secret secret flavor, secret sauce is, uh, is key, I think. Mm. Because a lot of what you do in venture is, is really going by the book. You know, there's a way to analyze a business. There's a way to create an industry map. There's a way to understand the financials of the company. And, and it does take a skill. It does take intelligence. But there are a lot of super smart, highly qualified, ambitious young people who are able to do it. So it's about, you know, being able to do that plus. If you can't do the plus, you're easily replaceable. If you're easily replaceable, why promote you? Why... Why go through all the efforts of keeping it? Yeah, it's like you see it when you're like screening like CVs and resumes for people who are applying for jobs. Like there are so many people way more qualified than me, Cam and Annalisa to like have our jobs. And like there are so many people who will work. Well, I won't speak for you guys on this, but like there are so many people who will work way harder than I will. Like I will work hard, but like I don't want to work hard as a default. And the only way to get around 
not like just killing yourself, putting in hours is to find that edge that you have that again, like VC can be six months of like absolute toil and nothing. And then you made friends with the right person or you read the right newsletter and you see that piece of information that gets you an edge on everyone else. And then suddenly, you know, because that that's like, again, one of the more frustrating things. I think you could like pour endless hours of hard work into this job and not get anything out of it. So trying to figure out what that thing is, I don't know, and they sort of can, like none of us have like a specialty and I don't know if that's by design for you guys, but like I know some people pick like a sector as a specialty to try to build that edge. But like, I still feel like the superpower is like something that you feel that you know what it is, but you actually can't quite articulate it. Uh, while some people can very clearly be like, I'm the fintech guy or, you know, I'm the DevOps, yeah. I'm, I'm the DevOps girl. I think that's one way to go about it. But I think it's somewhat artificial way to go about it. Like I think to me, a superpower is more being able to very quickly become a DevOps guy from being a FinTech guy, for example. So your ability to consume, process and apply information could be your incredible power if that's you. But it's all about doing some soul seeking, I guess, and then trying to understand what that is. Because I'm certainly not like a sector guy in anything and I'm not a fast learning guy, but there is some sort of an edge that I think three of us definitely have. Otherwise, I, I, I struggle to think of a single person that I'd see being promoted in this industry that would be sort of a blueprint of doing the core things on the job really well. It needs to go beyond that, right? And I think one really good way to figure out kind of what your personal strengths are in this industry and in different roles within BC is to observe other partners and more senior kind of people in your industry, right? Because there is no like one right way to be a VC and there's many different types of people in the industry. And I think I've been super fortunate in my career so far to work with a number of different partners who, you know, are unique and have different strengths and weaknesses themselves. And then you can kind of see, okay, I'm a bit more like this person or I'm different from this partner in that way. And then that can kind of also help you calibrate and figure out, you know, what's the way that you want to operate within the industry. Do you think that it takes someone else to be able to identify a superpower? Because I was just wondering where the three of you are in identifying your own superpowers. I imagine it's a process that might continually evolve. But for me personally, when I'm thinking about strengths and weaknesses, there's always something about an external observer who can just seem to identify something that is so difficult to identify in yourself. I think this comes from you know, people that you work with giving you really good feedback. So I think it's one thing for you to sit down and be self-aware and do the self-reflection. But I think other people, you know, who are more experienced, have spent more time in VC can be really helpful in identifying those superpowers for you and maybe superpowers that you don't even know that you have, right? So I've definitely found that to be helpful to me. Mm. And do any of you have examples of superpowers that you can identify in yourselves that aren't maybe sector specialisms? I've had one flag to me, and it's kind of a weird one because like a few people have flagged me. In terms of like meeting people and like getting to know people very quickly and getting other people very comfortable and trusting in you, that's something I've worked on a lot. And it's something you don't really think about. But like when you're having a conversation with a founder and investments move so quickly, if you can get someone to trust you in a 40-minute Zoom call, 
that's a massive net or like even just remember you that's net positive uh, for if you decide to do that investment and that's something that's been pointed out to me by a few people and like I don't realize it myself because I just think I'm kind of ridiculous sometimes and just like don't stop talking and probably get far too personal on like 40 minute founder calls about their DevOps startup but it like ends up having like the knock-on effect is if you can like time to trust or time to like feeling like you really know someone has ended up for the job that I'm in, like doing pre-seed and seed investing is really valuable because you the founders feel like they have a trusted partner who they can speak to. I feel like I know them because like you've had this kind of open and quick conversation. But again, like, you know, if you were to tell someone it's like the reason you're good at this job is because you can get to know someone really quickly, like feel like you know someone really quickly, like it's kind of a ridiculous thing to say that like, how would that be beneficial for this? But that was one thing that's kind of was pointed out to me that now that I know about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that is quite useful. Yeah, I think for me, one of the superpowers that's kind of been pointed out is being up for challenges. I think that's something I, I didn't really realize in myself until it was kind of pointed out to me. But, you know, just thinking about joining Sapphire earlier this year, you know, part of the opportunity that was super attractive to me was helping to kind of build out our team here in London to kind of start an office within a broader platform. And that's kind of on top of just the day-to-day job of, of being an investor. But, you know, that's a challenge that I was really excited to take on. Yeah, that's interesting. So when I, when I joined Notion initially, my secret power was, I guess, that I build that sourcing engine. So I was spearheading the scaling of our sourcing efforts and, and helping Notion really become truly pan-European. And then from that, I realized that I just enjoy building things because eventually the, the sort of building of the sourcing engine became quite boring to me. And then that's a problem that I've always had as a founder. And, and you know, that's why I guess I can't be a successful founder is because I get bored really quickly and I like I'm interested in way too many things but at a very sort of short attention span so so then you know ended up recently hiring a product manager for that and now I'm spearheading a, a sort of a process of building a new investment strategy for a fund so so I guess for me the superpower is constantly coming up with ideas both good and bad and sort of pushing the team in in, in different directions and um, yeah that that sort of became a thing that I'm I guess, a bit known for in the fund. And that's something that people appreciate, even if the ideas are pretty bad sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's actually like when you're junior in a fund, pushing the fund and like asking, like, why do we do this can really add a ton of value for you. Like it adds a ton of value for the fund, but like for you as you're developing your career progression, like oftentimes these partnerships have been together for like six, seven years a lot of the processes, like investment committees, due diligence processes, even like what the term sheets are, you'd be amazed like how much organizational inertia there is. And it's not that people don't want it to be good. It's just like, it's been the way it has been for years and that's how it's done. And there's almost nothing to lose by being like, I feel our IC voting process produces like suboptimal results. So, like I would say most funds I see process produces so optimal results. Like, but if you can recognize that and try to work on that, like you can actually materially level up not just yourself or a deal, but the actual way the fund operates. Because it was funny, I think we all talked about like onboarding being bad. 
it is a business running a venture fund, but I think like oftentimes like the HR and the process side of it is like not great because like investors are investors and they don't always actually put the time and the effort into thinking about like how their business runs themselves. So that's always like pushing the boat out as a junior person is like another really effective way. I think if you're trying to show that you could be in, in a partnership. I think it's really comes down to being proactive and thinking of yourself of kind of part of that owner of the firm, right? A partner in the firm, even if you're not high title or economics, but just having that mindset of what is best for the firm and being proactive. And as Finn said, kind of raising your hand with new ideas. Yeah. Um, I think those are definitely appreciated. Another bit of advice I heard once and, and that really stuck with me is uh, to always keep an eye on what, what the person one step above you is doing and trying to replicate that and trying to understand what parts of their sort of stack and, and sort of how they behave, how they think, questions they ask and things that they do on a day-to-day basis differ from what you do. And, and trying to really define that delta and then thinking about how do I go go for it. And I mean, leading on from that, how do you guys feel about mentorship within the industry, especially because, you know, we've talked about it. Partners don't have time. Onboarding is tough. Where do you get the support of someone who's been in your, your position before? I think mentors can come from different places. I think you can have peer mentors. And I would count Cam and Finn among those for myself. I think you can then have mentors within your firm that are partners, maybe partners that you work closely with, partners maybe you work less closely with. And then I think you can also have partners outside your firm, right? So partners at other VC firms. I've been really fortunate to be part of Level 20 here and actually have a formal mentor who's a managing partner at a PE firm. So it's similar industry, but not exactly the same. And so I found it both really valuable to get advice both from inside the firm, but then just as equally from outside as well. Yeah, I, I probably found it is important to feel like you have a mentor within your, like if you don't feel like you have a mentor within your firm, like that's very problematic. I think the peer mentorship is actually like probably the most important. Like I thought we were going to make at the start of this, it's kind of like a group therapy session, but like I 100% have like catch up calls where effectively it's just like therapy where we're just like, Oh God, the existential crisis of being a junior VC. Like you can't, you don't really have those conversations with partners and you can't really have those conversations with your friends because oftentimes your friends are like, your job is the best job in the entire world. And you can't be like, Oh God, but sometimes. So I think balancing out what you need from different mentors, like what are you actually trying to get from a mentor like, what do you need from a mentor is kind of the most important thing. So if it's just like raw information, it's usually people don't want to give that kind of mentorship. It's like, read a book, you know, if you need to know this, just read a book. But I think if it's like strategizing your career or career support or questions that you need an external perspective on, you know, figuring out like, what does this mean for a fund? You know, like there are this many partners, the fund size is this, they're raising their next fund then, like, how do I think about my place in that world? Like, you should be able to have that conversation with people within your fund. Everyone has their own incentives whenever they're giving mentorship and advice. You know, you kind of have to be aware of that as well. So just like Annalisa said, like having an external perspective, having your peers and Probably having a mentor who's completely disconnected to tech 
is actually the most valuable. It's such a bubble and we all spend so much time talking about it. But like, you know, sometimes I, I remember like once I was talking about the Uber IPO with some friends this year and they were just like, shut up to it. Like nobody cares. And like the thing is like nobody outside tech really cares. So if you don't have that perspective as well, I think it's very easy to get sucked into like our world is the whole world. And that's not a good attitude to have either. I think one concept I learned while working at LinkedIn was the concept of a personal board of directors. So just like as a company has their own board of directors, you too can kind of form your mini personal board. And so that's something that's been really helpful for me as, as I've kind of progressed in different industries and around my career. Some people have always stayed on the board. Some people come off, other people's come on. But I think surrounding yourself with different opinions and different viewpoints, but all people who you know deep down really care about you and want to see you successful has been helpful. So I would encourage people, you know, definitely who are starting out in their career to think about, you know, putting together that kind of personal board of directors and surrounding themselves with some really helpful mentors. And I remember when I first learned about the the distinction between mentorship and sponsorship that was quite pivotal to me. I hadn't really conceptualized what that might mean as sort of differentiating between advice and guidance and actually like active sponsorship and how important that might be. Do you have any thoughts on, Finn, I know you said, you know, really important to have mentors within a fund that you're working on. And I suppose even more importantly, sponsors within the place that you hope to progress do you guys have any any thoughts on that how do you know if you've got a sponsor and how do you go about finding them because it's often I think a more informal relationship Mm. I think I think a lot of it depends on understanding your personal style and then looking for a proxy of you in 5 10 15 years you sort of naturally get drawn to certain partners more than other partners because you feel like your thinking's aligned or you really like the way they break a given problem apart. Uh, and, and you can sort of spot yourself in them. And probably if you can spot a bit of yourself in them, that's sort of an indication of where could you go if you were to maximize on who you are and your sort of personal superpowers so, so those relationships often often happen where you sort of intentionally or less intentionally maximize your time with a given partner and they become more of your sponsor. But it's very informal usually, right? And I mean, at least at Notion, we have a program where we sort of have a rotating partner model where you spend more time with different partners at different times to, to maximize your exposure to different styles and then to really build relationships with everyone on the team. But there's always like certain styles that you prefer more than others, right? Down mm. to and certain certain people as well. We've all met a hundred plus VC associates, and there are people who you're closer to and people who you're not. And it's just like people who you like more and get on well with. But like there will be people in your firm who you just get on better with. And like it's nothing disparaging about someone else, or like there are associates or principals or founders who you will just get on better with. And it's kind of important, I think, to like to recognize that. Like I'd actually I'd be curious, Cameron and Lisa, like my best founder relationships are like 18 to 32 year old founders. You're in way more frequent contact with them. And it's just because like from a point stage of life, cultural similarity, like you know, you're more likely to have more commonality. 
And I think it's just the same, like Cam said, it's never forced. Like, you're not like, oh, I want to have the same style. It's like just finding those people who you naturally catch up with or you naturally, when you meet up, conversation just flows. And like effectively leaning into those people because, you know, like it's a lot easier to be good at something that you're interested in. And like, it's a lot easier to have a close relationship with someone who you get on with or has a similar style to you, like Cam said. I think that's true, but I've also found that some of my strongest sponsors have been people who are very different than me. But I think that because maybe they're different, that they can see some of my strengths and some of my superpowers who are maybe different than their strengths and superpowers. Mm. So I think that's hold true as well. I think also on the topic of sponsorship, I would definitely say this is super critical for kind of your kind of long-term success and progression within a firm, you know, someone who's in your corner and who has your back and who's speaking about you in discussions with other partners when, when you're not there. And I remember very vividly when I joined Sapphire and sat down with Andreas Weisskamp, who's one of the founding partners of Sapphire. And we were talking about kind of my OKRs and what I wanted to achieve in my first year. And we got to the end and he was like, well, one of my OKRs is to be a good manager to you. So what does that kind of look like? You know, what would you like from me? And I think that's, a, I hadn't, hadn't had that kind of type of conversation in kind of the VC industry before. And that was a signal to me, hey, this is someone who really cares about also my long-term progression within the firm. So you've all spoken a bit about kind of the peer mental network and people that you're close to. And clearly the three of you find each other to be very valuable peers um, and I think it's a really important point that I'd just like you to maybe expand on a little bit because certainly I know that Petra and myself um, and Francesca who started the podcast with us uh, we've all found the same thing and often you talk about network in terms of deal flow and pipeline but what we tend to miss out is like you know you can go to someone and ask a dumb question you know another associate you could go to and say hey this this term's come up, I've never heard of it, what is it? Or you can go to them and say, what is your IC process? Mine seems strange. And you can talk to them about the kind of things that maybe you can't talk to people within your own fund about. Um, and I just, you know, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what you use your peer network for, you know, how you find being friends with these guys, that kind of thing. I feel like for me, Cam and Finn have been people who I can go to and talk about questions and things that are top of mind to me and that's irreplaceable and something that doesn't really get talked about in the industry that much but I do think like as you think about career and progressing an associate to VP principal like the peers and other people that you have is so important yeah you see it's kind of like it's a bit mad that it can become kind of all-consuming there's not that many jobs where it's like I am a VC where like it becomes like who you are and and part of that is because like you can be better at the job if it's who you are like if all your friends are founders and other vcs you're better at the job but like i don't know there's like this ever present balance between do i let vc become all consuming and everything that i am and like become all, all my friends are associated with it all the trips i go on are associated with it or do i maintain some semblance of work life separation and it gets harder and harder as you get sucked into it. 
and it's why like it's great when you find like actual friends but like from people who you like but you do sometimes have to be like we're actually friends we're not just work friends right and I would add because you're not only progressing through your career, but you're progressing through your life, right? And we're all kind of at similar life stages. And so I think just having people who are true friends to be able to kind of bounce ideas off of and ask those questions is just super powerful. That's really cool. I think that's amazing. Maybe to close this out, we can cast our minds back to when we first kind of got into VC um, and you can share your top tips to listeners for actually breaking in like you know if you could go back and do it again get an associate gig at your dream fund what what would you do how do you go about doing it uh i i, I started off like you actually have to be interested in technology companies i know that sounds like really basic but like so many people who i talk about being like i really want a job in bc don't actually know that much about startups or like whether you know whether it's biotech or software or hardware or consumer or whatever it might be the way i kind of liken it is like you know when you meet crazy football fans who follow the premiership and know like the entire sunderland bench to be good at vc and to be able to break in you have to be able to like recall who did the seed round for like some random u.s dev tools company like four <laughs> years ago because like which like it's kind of insane but like you need to be like subscribing to the newsletters and like absorbing all the information by osmosis. So like whether it's CB Insights, Axios, all the fun names, if it doesn't come as naturally to you as like speaking another language or you're not and you're not interested enough in it that that can happen, you're never going to be able to break in. So that's kind of the biggest thing for me is like, like think about what you read and think about what you follow and like, is it startups and technology? And if it's not, then you're probably not going to be interested enough to be to be really good or break into it. I would say that the way most people go about trying to find a role in venture, which is sort of following the application process, is you know bound to fail. So it's about finding your unique access point to the fund you want to be a part of and understanding how they think. So I would say do a lot of education, read the blogs, understand the deals understand how a given fund that you want to be a part of things and then try to create an opportunity to basically meet some of the people and, and become familiar. And one of the things that, you know, I don't think people do often enough is why not start sending different deals to people? Uh, why not start finding interesting startups that, you know, you could share with the team uh, with a person within a fund where you can use it as an opportunity to show that, you see interesting things that you've got access and you can analyze stuff. You know, if someone sent me like a couple of interesting opportunities every month, eventually I'd come across something really interesting and I'd have to pick a phone up and say, thank you. And, you know, that's a great way to start a relationship. Certainly much better than a cold outbound asking for a mentorship from someone that I don't really know. So, so yeah, if I was to try to break into the industry, I'd be thinking about, how do I add value pre-joining, but like the real tangible value and in venture, we all care about deals, really. Mm -hmm. And Cam, what's the email address that you'd like those couple of suggestions to per month, please? Yeah, so it's Camille at notion.vc. Um, I'll read all of them and respond to all of them. Thank you. <laughs> you can probably guess me and Annalisa's as well. Actually, if you can't guess 
a VC's email address, you're going to have a really hard time being a VC. <laughs> it's like one of those like basics. Yeah, if you can learn these skills of building relationships with people who you don't know, like we've all done that. Like it's so fun. Like you're emailing like random founders on LinkedIn being like, hello, I heard through the grapevine, fantastic things. It's part of the job. Like when you start the job, you end up doing what you probably, like Cam said, did to try to break into it. So it's not like you're just getting training in early. And if you can be good at that, you'll probably be good at this. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that any fund looks for in a junior joining the fund is, can they be a good travel pig? So the more you can show that you can be a good travel pig early on, the more mm-hmm. chances you have of you know, finding a role. But wait, and Lisa, you, you took the more conventional route going on vacation to business school for 18 months. I actually did my MBA internship at Atomico. So I had three months spent with them. And then at the end of that, accepted a role to come back full time after my second year. And I think, you know, that experience really like underscored for me just how, how unique and special like the culture and the team was there and that I wanted to be a part of that team. And I think all VC firms are unique and special and different. And so I do think the people and the culture is one of the most important things to figure out for yourself. Like, is that a, is that a good place? And is that a long-term home for me? And I think as you kind of progress and think about even like your, your next role kind of in venture and, and where that is, that's still the critical and like most, most important thing. So I think it's something that as you build your network and get to know more people, you can also figure out, you know, what kind of values and culture is most important to you. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to end on, actually, that we can get quite caught up in how do you get a role in VC and forget to ask like whether that's the right thing for you or how you find the right role or fund or place for yourself in, in the industry. So it's good to be reminded of that. So finally, then, to close us out, uh, Cam, you've already kind of answered this, but usually we close out with asking where people can find you and um, perhaps what kind of people you'd like to hear from or with what things, if there's anything that you're particularly interested in at the moment or or looking for. So um, maybe, Annalisa, if we start with you. Happy to. Yeah, definitely. You can reach out to me. My email is annalisa at sapphireventures.com. Would love to hear from potential associate candidates. We are going to grow our team here in London next year pretty significantly. And of course, uh, founders or people who have great uh, ideas about potential investment opportunities, always love to hear those too. Uh, Cam's already gone. Yeah, I, I can go. I'll, I'll go next. So yeah, you can get me on Finn at frontline.vc. Please don't message me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure, I'd, actually, that's like the golden rule. Don't message anyone on LinkedIn until you're a VC and then you have to do it. Uh, but like generally, it's a weird one where VCs are also not responsive, but still use it. But uh, find me on email, my email. I'm on Twitter. And yeah, types of people we're looking to hire. Frontline are looking to hire a principal at the moment. So if any like associates are out there feeling like they want to move and just have so much fun working with me and the rest of the Frontline team, uh, shoot me an email. Great. And Cam, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, no. So in terms of, you know, who I'd like to hear from founders, of course. And then in terms of candidates, you know, associates looking to move ships potentially or considering to move ships towards the 
next year and passionate about B2B SaaS, always happy to talk. And I think, you know, we will probably be hiring at some point next year. Incredible. Great. Well, I can't believe that. We almost never get people who are hiring and this time we've got a full house. It's unheard of. Mm. The luckiest episode ever. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Associated. Remember that you can get updates on the latest guests and episodes on Twitter. We're associated underscore pod. And if you have any thoughts or you have any suggestions for guests, please email us. We are associatedpodcast at gmail.com. Please do subscribe, leave us a rating, all that good stuff wherever you're listening to this. It really helps us. And we look forward to seeing you when we're back with our next season. Bye.